0: We stand together, please, for the reading of the gospel. From Luke's gospel, the third chapter, beginning at verse 7. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves that we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds ask him, what then should we do? In reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none And whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. And they asked him, teacher, what must we do? And he said to them, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what should we do? He said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation. And be satisfied with your wages as the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the messiah John answered all of them by saying i baptize you with water but one who is more powerful than i is coming i am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals he will baptize you with the holy spirit and fire his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor to gather the wheat into his granary but the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. In the early 1970s, while in seminary, I was the pastor of the Hopewell Baptist Church in Henry County. A small rural church. <clears throat> small town of Lacey, Kentucky, which I think no longer exists, and I didn't think it existed at that time as well. <laughs> there was some kind of boarded-up general store that was very tiny and supposedly, <clears throat> excuse me, supposedly a post office that I never saw open. On this particular Sunday, it was Soil Conservation Day in the church. Now, you can look, but you will not find that in the lectionary but in rural farmland Kentucky, it seemed to fit the rhythms of their lives. And on this particular Sunday, I was asked to teach the men's Bible class the lesson on the stewardship of creation. You have to understand the audience. All of them grew up farming. All of them farmed. Many of them had jobs but still farmed. And many of them were retired farmers. One of them was O.D. Perkinson. Perk, as he was affectionately affectionately known, had been the county agent for decades. He was the one who helped these farmers know how to get the best from their land, the best living. His word was gold. Like all the other men, he would smoke outside before they came in for Bible study, and after Bible study, they'd go outside and smoke again before they came back in for worship. And he had a habit that was rather endearing, I thought. He would puff on his pipe. And during the conversation, he would puff, and then he would take it out of his mouth and blow out a stream of tobacco smoke and then drop some pearl of wisdom about whatever was being said. And people would nod their sage agreement. On this particular Sunday, I focused on the biblical text about the stewardship of creation. And then I started adding things. Rachel Carson's book, Silent Spring, was out talking about what we were doing to the water and the air and the coming silent spring when we reap the consequences of our misbehavior toward the environment. I spoke of the dire consequences of all this. And then Perk spoke, almost as if he pulled out the pipe and with patient paternalism said, Now, Brother Jim... I just don't think the good Lord's going to let that happen to us. And my Bible study and prophecies just circled the drain. <laughs> Reflecting on his word, I think he was saying that they were faithful people, faithful to the land, faithful to farming practices, faithfully coming to church, faithfully maintaining the order of things that they inherited from their forebearers that therefore they were the people of God and exempt from the consequences of environmental disaster. I have fond memories of Perk, but recalling that moment makes me sad because the question that needed to be asked never got asked. The question is, what then should we do John the Baptist was better at this dire prophecy stuff. He started out by telling them, don't talk to me about your ancestors. Don't tell me you're God's people. This is about behavior. This is about how you live. And they responded with the question, what what should we do? It's important to notice who he's talking to here. The chapter starts out with all the upper people, the the powerful people, the rich people. Caesar. Caesar and the governors, and the religious leaders. But by the time we get to this passage, it's about the crowds. It's just everybody else. People who live day to day, hand to mouth, struggling, just getting by, living in a land where they are occupied, where they are put down, where they are caught. And he says to them, what you need to do is live generously, and honestly, and kindly. And he's telling people who feel powerless about the power they have. The power to choose their responses, the power to refuse to let somebody else's meanness and callousness direct their lives. He says to me, if You have two coats, give one away. Most of these people didn't have two coats. Not surprising that many of them would not have one. I thought about going through my house and counting the number of coats that are mine, but I would probably be embarrassed to tell you, and I don't want to hear what John the Baptist would say to me about that. He's talking to them about living sacrificially with such a generosity. And the tax collectors, oh my. We might see a tax collector going into the door. They saw a giant cockroach come into their doors. The taxes originated in Rome and Caesar to pay for the empire and also to pay for the occupation of their land. And it went through several layers of people, and everybody added a taste. And by the time it got to the people, it was onerous. And those who collected the taxes were betrayers. They were hated, and they had earned that hate. You can almost hear them whisper, what should we do? Because they don't want to be seen. And he says to them, live honestly. That's a radical change from what they've been doing. And soldiers with power, people who are not in Rome, but posted in this God-forsaken place where everybody likes like to stick a knife in your back for occupying their homeland. And where the temptation is to take your anger out on these very people and enhance your own wages in the process. He says to them, live honestly kindly now you couldn't blame these people for asking why should we do this we're caught up in this whole milieu where we're mistreated why should we live with kindness why should we be generous we might ask ourselves why should we live this way honestly generously kindly in a day of unbridled greed and distorted taxation, and alternative facts. Well, in our text, the people were wondering about John the Baptist. Was he the the coming one of God? Was he going to be the holy one? And John said, no, there's somebody else coming, greater than I. He's saying to them, in doing these things, of living honestly and kindly and generously, we are preparing to look for the holy one to come into our midst. We're preparing our hearts and minds to receive. Now, for us, the Holy One has come. In Advent, we remind ourselves that the Holy One is always coming into our lives. And that our calling is to look for the sacred everywhere and in everyone. Several years ago now, when I had a practice of spiritual direction, one of my directees named Ann gave me a book Praying for Strangers. It's by an author called River Jordan. I cannot imagine her parents naming her that, so I'm assuming it's a pen name. (laughs) But I love her writing. And I want to share a story that she encountered. I was lying on a blanket in Bicentennial Park. A woman approached me carrying a multitude of bags. She talked first to herself, then to me. She approached me and asked if I had a dollar to spare. No, I told her, which was true. I'm usually good for a dollar and don't care where it goes. It's not my concern, whether the dollar goes to drink or the lottery or warm soup. It's the giving of it that interests me. But on this day, I had no dollars to give. Not a dollar, not a dime, I said. The woman paused. She looked down at me and I cupped my hands over my eyes to shield them from the sun, and I focused on the shadow of her. She put down her bags and shuffled through her jeans. Look here, she said. God have mercy on me when I don't have something to give. Let me help you out. So she pulled out a worn dollar from her jeans, a dollar that had seen some things, and rattled out coins from half a dozen pockets. For you, she said. I started to protest, but she pulled up her pant leg, showed me her metal leg, trailed by her metal foot. Lost it in a wreck, she said. All I have to do is show people my leg and tell them my story. I'll get a dollar. Well, no doubt, I thought. And why not? If a metal leg wasn't worth a dollar, then the story of it surely was. Then she asked me my name, which she liked a lot and told me hers, Esther. I told her I liked her name, too. Then Esther told me to keep the amber in my hair and that I should always wear earth tones. Listen to what I'm saying now. She searched for a match. And don't forget earth tones look best on your skin. You don't smoke, do you? Not anymore. Well, you might not believe me, but I know what I'm saying. I know about colors. She gave up the light, returned the cigarette to her pack, and said, reckon God's telling me I didn't need that smoke no way. I thought of the story of a man who once passed a beggar who kept asking for coins, and the man finally said, I have no coins. All I have are my prayers, but those I will gladly share. So I offered to pray for her. It was the least I could do. After all, I was and I am a believer. What else could I do for a homeless person with one leg when I had no food or money to give? To be honest, I don't remember if at that moment I prayed for Esther, for her metal leg, for her riches, or the lack of them, but I remember Esther praying for me because she did, a high and mighty, somebody sure is listening prayer, a somebody who read the Bible prayer, an open-handed prayer. Esther prayed for this pilgrim with all her homeless heart. As she walked off, she said, "'Remember me in your prayers, River Jordan,' Then she praised God for something I couldn't hear and lifted her hands to the sky. For just a moment, I watched her go and thought about the stories I'd heard from my grandmother about entertaining angels unaware. To her, any stranger met along a road to be an angelic being disguised as a human. But Esther looked very real. All real woman, less one leg. Our calling this Advent is to look for the sacred, the holy, the holy one of God anywhere, everywhere, in anyone, in everyone. Amen.